This is Diane according with Book Talk. My guest is Sylvia Petum, a longtime Boulder historical researcher, newspaper columnist, and author of more than 20 books, including several historical true crime books. Though she's not a member of law enforcement, she works with them, has written a book for them, and is credited with doing the lion's share of the research on a famous Boulder Jane Doe case. Sylvia, welcome to, actually, welcome back to Book Talk. Well, thank you. It's been a while. Your book tells the stories of victims, some missing, some murdered, and some with changed identities. How did you choose them? I tried to kind of pick a mixture, men, women, children from different parts of the country, but I I, my focus was the years 1910 through the 1950s, so it was a combination of what people recommended to me or people I had known about or just kind of caught my eye. What I really tried to focus on was the victims and the human interest, the people, the people that are involved in, in whatever, and they're not all crimes. Some, it's not a crime, for instance, for an adult to go missing. So there were some in here of changed identities. And it sounds like you wouldn't do serial killers. I don't do serial killers. Right. How's your book organized? That was actually something I struggled with. I was kind of thrown this idea at me by my editor. Which of these cases received the most press back in the day? Oh, geez. Probably the, the last one in the book, William Desmond Taylor. He was a uh, Hollywood producer who was shot in, I believe, 1922 in Hollywood. And there are many books written on him, lots of press at the time. He was shot in the back in his own home, but nobody has a clue who did it or what happened. And there's been so much speculation that it, it took me at least a month just to even read through some of the highlights of this case to try to figure out what I thought about it, and I gave it a slightly different twist. So, you just have to read the book. Why are today's readers so interested in cold cases? I think, well, cold cases are a hot topic right now, and I think a lot of it has to do with, I mean, younger people particularly are interested in these podcasts, and I haven't even listened to that many of them myself, but I think a lot of them think that maybe, there's another word for them, armchair sleuths. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of them think that maybe they could solve the case if they learned more about it. So, But I don't know if they're really interested in going into a whole lot of depth, but there, there's that intrigue there. I think that's probably what draws them into it. Your early books were about Boulder history. How did digging into Jane Doe change your life? Jane Doe was a, her name in April 1954 etched into a gravestone that I kind of stumbled across in Columbia Cemetery. And at the time I had been writing, and I still do write history columns for the Daily Camera, and I just thought it would be an interesting column. So. I thought, well, okay, I'll, I'll read a few newspaper articles and see what I can find and dig into it a little bit. And I got, I absolutely got hooked. There was no information. I went to the sheriff's office. They had nothing. 
All their files from that era are gone, which is a mystery in itself. The Jane Doe case, I think, really appealed to me because it it was historical. It was a case that was a mystery, had been a mystery for more than 50 years at the time, even. And that was back in 2004. So I, I just got interested in that case, and through that case I got interested in that true crime genre. And now I can kind of combine that with my passion for history. So I think I found a new niche. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. How do you work with police departments, and why did you write a book for them? That's an interesting question. I started out with the Boulder Sheriff's Office because of this Jane Doe case. She was found in the county, so the county has jurisdiction uh, over where she was found. So that was my very first experience. I, I went in to see the sheriff completely unknowing about anything at all that had to do with investigating a homicide. I knew, I knew this young woman had been murdered because the early newspaper articles said so, but um, I didn't know anything at all about it, and it was a real learning experience. I mean, I actually got to work kind of side by side with the people in the sheriff's office and learn how they would go about doing this. And their focus was on who did it, who murdered her. And that didn't interest me at all. I wanted to know who she was. But they said in order for them to figure out who murdered her, they had to know who she was. So they they allowed me to do the research, a lot of the research, and kind of feed that into them. It was kind of a one-way street. I fed them information, but I didn't get much back from them at the time. Afterwards, after I was done with that, after we finally got her name on her grave, that was in 2009 that we had finally got her identified, then I started working for the Boulder Police Department, and their jurisdiction is the city, so they're two completely different entities, but I worked there for many, many years, and I did right up until this COVID shutdown, and I don't think the city is even allowing anybody not like me, a volunteer, to come back. So I call myself a long-time volunteer there, but I'm not there at the moment because of COVID. What was the book you wrote for them? Someone's Daughter in Search of Justice for Jane Doe. And it was mostly about our investigation, I'd say our, the sheriff's office and me. And... Um, like I said, it got my feet wet in this field. How old does a case have to be to be a cold case? There are so many answers to that question. Oh. It depends who you ask. It could be a year. It could be a lot longer. But essentially, I think I think the definition I've heard the most is when the trail has gone cold and there's no new, new leads. But in my opinion, I, I think of a cold case more like at least 10 or 20 years. But I'm, I'm giving it that historical perspective that not everybody does. So. What were your sources for the book, in particular, for my favorite dead person? Uh, Daredevil DeLay. Oh. That was 1923. <laughs> 
I think for that one, and actually for most of them, newspapers.com was my best resource. How did he die? Somebody had tampered. This was the stunt pilot who went up in the air. Somebody had tampered with some bolts that were holding in some wires on the plane. And he went up and did these loops. Yeah. In, a, in one of those World War One era mm-hmm. planes, and uh, he flew up, but there was a huge crowd below, flew up, tried to do some loops, and just crashed and died, and he had a passenger with him, too. There was a movie made from that uh, episode, that event, and mm-hmm. it's not entirely accurate, but it's one of those old movies, I enjoyed watching it, but... What do you hope readers get from this particular book? I think what I'd like them to do is to kind of draw their own conclusions. I did mention that I had added a little twist to that William Desmond Taylor, and there were a few places, I think, in here that I might have been unable to resist putting a little bit of my perspective into it. But I, I tried to basically, like... I guess Joe Friday said it in Dragnet, just the facts, you know. I tried, I tried to, to, to write it more as a reporter and lay out something for these people today who are trying to figure out maybe they can, maybe they can come up with a clue that'll solve it. Who knows? Well, thank you. My guest is Sylvia Petal, author of Cold Case Chronicles, published by Lions Press. Her website is sylviapetal.com. This is Diana Cordy with Book Talk. Thank you. You're welcome.